0: The Healthy High Podcast has been designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. While the show is hosted by medical professionals, you should always consult your physician when it comes to your personal health or before you start any treatments. Hey, 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 everybody. My name is Ashley Smith, and I am the host of the Healthy High Podcast. Mental health is equally important as your physical well-being. If we are not addressing our mental health, every other area of our lives can collapse. So I've decided to start a series in which I'll be doing an episode every like few months called Mental Health Check-Ins with FOLA. FOLA is a licensed mental health counselor who also happens to be one of my BFFs. So sit back, relax, and let's jump right on in. All right, today we have an amazing guest on the show to talk to us about mental health. She is a licensed mental health counselor, and she holds credentials as a nationally board-certified counselor. She has an abundance of mental health experience, including working with individuals, family, groups, children, seven or older, and adolescents, she is one of my favorite people on this planet and has been my therapist for over 15 years before all the fancy degrees and credentialing. <laughs> welcome to the show, my friend, Amudala Fola Lassisi. How are you doing today? I'm
1: good. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. I appreciate that. Yes, and yes. Um, what made you want to even become a licensed mental health counselor? So I initially wanted to be a doctor. Um, strangely. But I think because I had a therapist in my home when we were younger. So I'm Nigerian for people who don't know. And it was hard to navigate that kind of space. And I had a therapist in a home. I was really, really an angry child. I didn't realize it back then. But Mm -hmm. I had somebody that came into the house and she got me. She understood me. She knew what I was dealing with. And The best part about it was she was able to convey what I could not express to my parents. And I knew then that I enjoyed talking to people. I mean, you know, out of our friend group, I'm kind of the person that people come to. So it's Mm -hmm. always been something I've done naturally. um, And I just felt like this was where I wanted to be. So I spent a lot of my college years trying to be a medical doctor because Nigerian parents want us to be engineers or doctors. um, And that just didn't work for me. (laughs) Science is not my thing. And then I just decided, you know what, I want to try something that I'm more passionate about. And that comes naturally for me. So here I am. So you got therapy in Nigeria? No, no, no. So my parents, we had a therapist in the home. So um, younger, I wasn't the identified patient, but I was able to experience that because we got family therapy. So that's when I first learned. Ah, okay. I understand. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. That's cool. That's, that's good that your parents realized that family therapy was necessary because, you know, Black people usually shy away from therapy. So that was really good that your parents, like, allowed a therapist into the home. So why do you think there is a stigma in the African-American communities around getting therapy and being aware of
1: your mental health? Um, I think just in general, African-Americans struggle with just trusting people. We have a mistrust, especially with like healthcare and just healthcare providers sometimes. And rightfully so, because there's not a lot of African-American or even BIPOC mental health professionals in general, right? So, you know, if you're struggling with mental health issues or just family issues, you don't want to necessarily walk into a space where, one, you're not comfortable because there's a stigma around mental health regardless, and then, two, with somebody you feel like will not get you, you know what I mean? So, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, I think, sometimes there's a self-stigma, right? So, if we're dealing with maybe depression or anxiety or PTSD, I think sometimes we have shame around feeling maybe weak or inadequate. So just to talk about that is hard. I think also there is just a public stigma in general around mental health. So just to seek treatment with people that don't look like you and Mm -hmm. to have to express things you're dealing with to people that you feel like won't understand, I think is... It's just a hard it's it's a challenge for African Americans, especially in African American community. And we don't really have access to quality healthcare already. Right. You know what right. I mean? So yeah. it's hard to just, you know, one face that you're struggling mentally and then two, deal with feeling misunderstood again or being misdiagnosed because that's also um sometimes a very big problem yes exactly especially in the african-american community and that has a, an impact on especially young kids you know especially in the school system that are being misdiagnosed and yeah. it's just it's a it's a huge problem and there, there is a disparity between african american clients and white clients that actually seek treatment so and i get mm-hmm. it and it's true not only in mental health it's happening in
0: regular health care as well the yeah. same issues we don't trust we are afraid to talk about and we don't see people that look like us. And in another episode, I do discuss, um, the things, the history of African-Americans in healthcare and the reason why we don't trust. They were, in back in the days, the Jim Crow days, mm-hmm. the South, they were doing some horrible things to African-American people, which is why we now don't have that trust like mm-hmm. all around within healthcare. So that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Um, Who do you think is less likely to seek therapy,
1: Black men or Black women? So in my private practice... Um, I see currently. I want to say eighty to eighty-five percent of African American women. Women are more likely to seek treatment versus men. And for the men that I, I work with, I often sometimes feel like they they're even struggling. So even speaking to me as a female, sometimes they struggle to express how they're feeling, um, and they have a harder time. And I think sometimes African American men they end treatment prematurely you know what I mean like even if they do come in the door they'll come in they'll try and then they'll end sessions or they'll end treatment a lot earlier than they're supposed to because they're not comfortable right yeah but women for sure seek treatment more so
0: how do you make them more comfortable how do you try anyway
1: to make them more comfortable the black men so I think it depends obviously you know you want to be client-centered so I think I just address the elephant in the room. I talk about their discomfort. I recognize what they're dealing with in the moment and I address it. I think immediacy sometimes works a lot better with men because they're naming what's happening in the room at that time. You know what I mean? So if I'm working with a client and I notice that they're visibly uncomfortable Uncomfortable. um, or they're, you know, even just the way that they present, I I acknowledge that. And I thank them for trusting me for even taking the step and then, you know, we work on what's happening in the moment before we even get into why they decided to to start treatment. So I think that kind of breaks down some of the barriers and yeah. the discomfort because I acknowledge that it was a difficult road to come down and to even decide to pick up the phone and come in. You know what I mean? So Right, right. Yeah, I think that helps. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That's
0: good stuff. <laughs> um, how do you think that affects our community? The fact that Black men are less likely to seek treatment? Because you've seen adolescents, you've seen adults, you've seen children. And if you just think about Black men not seeking therapy and the relationship that it has with the family as a group or
1: um, the community,
0: how how is it that it affects our community and our families?
1: I think that just in general, um, mental health, when you're not addressing that, black, white, doesn't matter. I think it it impacts the family regardless. But sp- more specifically, when it comes to Afri- African Americans, if we're not addressing what's happening, you know, with us, it trickles down. And traditionally and typically, the man will be the head of the household, right? And if the right. head is not doing well, then everyone else suffers. And I feel like a lot of the times, African American males, they deal with a lot, you know, not anything more than females. But they struggle with asking for help or reaching out for help. Um, They have a fear of being treated differently. I just feel like it just impacts the family negatively because we're not addressing what we're dealing with emotionally. They don't have the the emotional intelligence sometimes to express their emotional needs, to identify their triggers, identify um, just what's happening in the moment. Sometimes men don't even know how to express whether they're happy or they're sad. And sometimes that impacts the decisions they make and the decisions that they make also will negatively impact the family sometimes. So I just think in general, when we're not addressing our mental health, it, it impacts everyone around us, the people that we love. So I just feel like it's necessary for everyone to address their mental health. Right. With all this craziness
0: going on with COVID Mm -hmm. and everyone being kind of isolated and locked up in the house. What do you find is the best or most encouraging things that you can say to people to help them through the
1: difficult times of COVID? Honestly, um, just being more centered and being more mindful of the things that you are grateful for and the things that are going well. So I think just in general with COVID, we are more focused on the things that we cannot control, right? So people are like, oh my God, I can't travel. Or, oh my goodness, I can't do the things that I used to enjoy. I think we're more focused sometimes on the things that cannot happen. So what I've been telling clients is focus on the things that you have control over, Right. You know, try to we have to learn how to adapt. And I think people that deal with anxiety a lot of the times they struggle with change. Right. So this I I think COVID-19 has impacted um, individuals dealing with um, depression and anxiety the most mainly because people that are depressed, if you're struggling with just getting up and having a motivation to leave the house, right? Now you're stuck home. You're isolated even more than you were before. And the people that are are anxious, they're more future-oriented thinkers, right? So they they always want to plan. And with COVID-19, you cannot plan. And this pandemic, planning has gone out the window. You know what I mean? Like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So I think just identifying what you have control over making the best of your current situation. So if people are stuck at home doing remote work or remote learning, try to make it as fun as possible. Spend time with the people you haven't spent time with, you know, um, get to know one another, get to know yourself, you know, find out what your hobbies are. I think we've been so um, distracted just with the outside world that we have not spent enough time just getting to know our families, especially the black families. I think in particular COVID-19 has been, um, Obviously, there's been a lot of loss, so I don't want to minimize. Especially in the black yes, community. right. So I don't want to minimize that. Let's be honest, right? We've dealt with a lot yeah. already. Um, but I do think that it has helped with bringing families closer together. Yeah, that makes sense. Though. Yeah, you know what I mean? I feel like we spend yeah. more time with our children. Now, parents are the teachers.
0: Where before, Yeah, but let me tell you, hold up, time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Out. Let me tell you.
0: Parents being the teacher can cause another little level of mental breakdown. Okay. I'm I'm telling you, I'm a I'm a teaching mother Mm -hmm. and it is not easy and I get that we need to try to spend as much time with our children, but spending every single day twenty four hours, seven days a week, can't be all that healthy either.
1: Absolutely, which I, I agree and I don't think you're supposed to spend that much time. You know what I mean? And I and I hear that it's been difficult. However, now it's a, a learning curve, right? So before you didn't have to learn how to work on teaching your child or spending as much time figuring out what your child was learning in school or even how they learned, but now you do. Now you have no choice, right? So there's some parents right. that send their kids to school, have no idea, you know, the how they learn or what's impacting them if they're not doing well in school, but now they have that kind of access. So it's a teaching moment. Now, what do you do and how do you kind of help your child learn better? Or how do you work on bringing the family together or doing more fun stuff? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's a, it's a teaching moment. I don't think it has to be all bad. I think you guys can, you know, especially if you're in a two parent household, take turns. It doesn't have to all be mom or all be dad. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Do fun things. We got to go back to old school, right? Like doing, you know, game nights with the family. Before, no one had time for that. Parents will be out working all yeah. day, and then they're coming home and they're stressed and they're tired. Now you have no choice, <laughs> all right? So most people have <laughs> right, no choice. Right. Make it fun. Do things that make, you know, give everyone time to figure out what what makes the family happy, what makes the family healthy. You know what I mean? Like this is the time now mm-hmm. because there's nothing else to do. So we got to figure it out. And as a black, you know, black woman, I, we are really good at being resilient and figuring things out. And I think that we, we have to learn how to cope. And also we can teach now that we see what our kids are going through, right. We can teach them how to cope. So now we're also learning how to cope. We have to be able to share, you know, share that with our children and, and figure out how to deal with the stressors together, communicate, you know what I mean? So yeah no.
0: you make it sound really great and easy <laughs> but
1: in real life
0: if the struggle is real no, I hear you sound okay the struggle is real um out of all of the groups of people that you have worked with, what would you say is your I, I don't want to say favorite but the one that you like the most? What what
1: type of therapy do you like the most? Individual therapy, for sure. Um, although I'm a therapist, I'm still an introvert. So I do appreciate one-on-one sessions more than anything. Um, I appreciate the therapeutic relationship you can build with just one person. And I think the vulnerability that comes out of those sessions, I think powerful not just for the client but for me sometimes so for me just in general I don't think it matters whether I'm with um a child or adolescent or adult I think for me just in general individual sessions um I I appreciate the most I think I also grow from the most so um I love my kids I have kids that I work with (laughs) I was gonna say so
0: I was gonna jump in and say
1: um uh, for a
0: while, you were dealing with adults. Um, you were dealing with um, substance abusers and things like that before you started dealing with children. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you jumped into dealing with children, you really, you were presently surprised. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Um,
1: I, only because I, so personally, my family doesn't have that many children. Um, so I haven't spent a lot of time with children. So before doing this like i was a school based therapist for a little while before doing that i didn't spend much time with children so obviously i love children but i didn't i didn't connect with them on that kind of level especially addressing behavioral issues mental health issues it was surprising to recognize that so many kids have emotional intelligence and they're not supported and they're not they don't have a space where they can um navigate their emotions and their mental health so it was interesting to see how many kids were interested in learning how to cope with stress, or dealing with bullying, or even addressing family dynamics. Like kids, people don't realize, but kids pay attention and they pay. They learn. They have these, you know, their learned behaviors, and then they take it outside. So when I was working with children, I, I seen, you know, it's funny because I work with um, adults in outpatient facility, right? So like you said before, individuals that were dealing with substance abuse. So I went from working with the adults now to working with their children sometimes even like i would work with the parents maybe a couple years before and then in my next role as a school-based therapist i would have their child so it was surprising to see how everything was like full circle and being them later on so that was it was a phenomenal experience to be honest and i love that i was able to do it with the parents first and then work with the kids because then it gave me a different kind of um perspective on how to work with children and also in the school system. I don't think parents realize how difficult it is in the school systems, you know, and like they're, they're struggling a lot. What do you mean by that? Like the school systems, they're struggling in the school systems. Who's struggling? What doesn't the parent really know that we probably should yeah, know? Sure. So, I mean, obviously teachers struggle because they're dealing with um, just being overworked, underpaid, but I think students sometimes they don't they don't have the capacity to express what's happening with them emotionally so teachers and adults are seeing their behaviors and they're interpreting it as just maybe defiance or disobedience when it could just be that they're dealing with trauma They're dealing with um, witnessing domestic violence and they're dealing with um, just struggling academically and still being moved forward, not knowing how to read and being in the next grade and having their peers make fun of them. They're dealing with a lot of things that people don't recognize and they show it through their behaviors. But because we only see behavior sometimes negatively and don't know how to address the tri- you know, what's stemming from the behaviors, I think that's been the biggest problem. So, kids are being misdiagnosed or they're being sent sometimes to deal with disciplinary actions and never addressing what's happening with them mentally or emotionally. Okay, yeah, so as a kid, yeah, you have it. to deal with that and not even know how to express or articulate what's Press. going on. Yeah. At least adults, yeah. you know, even adults sometimes, we don't know how to express what's happening. <laughs> I was about to say, because not all of us know
0: how to express ourselves correctly either for I know for me I can only speak for me I am learning I'm still learning how to express myself correctly not to be too aggressive I have a very aggressive personality as you know (laughs) but it's passion you know what I mean so I am now learning that it can be offensive Mm -hmm. to some people and that I need to tone down my passion and figure out a better way to say it so I'm sure kids have no clue
1: there's yeah so I, I think just Recognizing that you know, you don't know that even if you are a clinician, right? Right. You get all the training, but for me, I feel like you need sometimes you know these lived experiences, and I think that that propels certain clinicians in a different way. I think that gives us a different kind of competence in the work that we do. So, being in that space gave me a lot more, um, a lot more perspective on how to help kids navigate their world sometimes. So, I I loved it. I mean, I love what I do in general, so um. Mm -hmm. It was, it was good. I like that. So my friend is a boss. (laughs)
0: Um, She is the owner and CEO of R&R Therapy Services. If you want to check her out, her webpage is rrtherapy.org. And her IG handle is restore, R-E-S-T-O-R-E dot renew, R-E-N-E-W underscore therapy, T-H-E-R-A-P-Y. Hit her up. Check her out. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on. Hopefully, you'll be on for future episodes. thank you
1: for having me, and I'm so proud of you for doing this. This is amazing. This is a wonderful platform. So thank you for having me, and I look forward to having more sessions.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Remember, guys, your health is most
1: definitely your wealth.